You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. Well, we are doing a sermon series on the Beatitudes, or excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we are looking at Jesus' most popular sermon. We've called it countercultural because what we're seeing and what we're realizing is that the more we get into the words of Christ, the more in my face and against me this sermon seems to be speaking. Okay? In fact, I, I was doing some study on, on the sermon and its whole, and there was this pastor in New York who, who talked about uh, this, this professor who gave her students an assignment to read the Sermon on the Mount. And so these students came in, these millennials probably at the time, right? These millennials came in and they read the Sermon on the Mount and she asked them to give a response. And this is what they said. She said almost every response was, was like these two that I'm about to read to you. The first one was uh, from a student who said, I do not like the Sermon on the Mount. It made me feel like I had to be perfect. And guess what? Nobody is. The second student said this, the things asked of in this sermon is absurd. To look at a woman like that is adultery. To be angry or insult someone like that is murder. Those are the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statements I ever heard. And what this professor says that I think is so profound, and, this, and you'll see why I want to start the sermon this way. She says this, Biblical illiteracy has gotten to a point in America where people could read the passages of Matthew chapter 5 without 2,000 years of historical haze. For the first time in a long time, people can read the Sermon on the Mount how it was truly meant to be read. What we realized, what this professor realized, what this pastor in New York realized is that when Jesus gave this message, he didn't give this as sort of like an ethical teaching on how to be a good person. When Jesus gave this message, he wasn't just outlining for us this pleasant sermon that we could share with our children. What Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago is the same thing he's doing today. He's saying something that's completely countercultural. It goes in the face of everything that they thought or believed, and it's the same thing here, even in Aberdeen 2,000 years later. Jesus is giving us a message that's going to grind against our gears. He's relaying to us a sermon where we're going to look at it just like that student. And if we really look at the contents, we're going to say, man, it feels as though I have to be perfect in order to do what this sermon says. In fact, Jesus, in in giving this sermon that the kingdom of God coming to this earth, what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, he's going to actually say, Later on in this sermon, unless your righteousness and deeds surpass those of the most righteous in your society, the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is meant to stop every single one of us in our tracks and cause us to ask the question, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? 
See, I wrote for you a list of beatitudes that I think make me happy, right? Remember what Pastor Rodney said last week. He said, what we've been going through for so long is the the diagnosis, right? There's an issue of sin in our life that separates us from God and it creates a culture that tends to lean towards chaos and it tends to, in its extreme form, be devastating to people groups no matter what and who they are. But when you see when you see this countercultural movement of faith of Jesus followers who step up, all of a sudden you see those barriers start to break down. And what he, when he talked about the Beatitudes, it literally means happy. That word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You guys remember that from last week? Happy are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the kingdom of God. Happiness. That's the question that each one of us are asking. That's the thing that each one of us is trying to obtain. And when we come to the Beatitudes, the question Jesus is asking us today, and the question we're asking of ourselves is, how do I live the good life? Better yet, how do I get the good life? And so I wrote for you what I would say are the American Beatitudes. When I was thinking of myself, I'm like, man, this is what I would want. These are the things that make me happy. The American Beatitude starts like this. Blessed are those who have wealth, for theirs is a new car and home. Blessed are those who are social butterflies, for they will have a successful TikTok. Blessed are those who succeed, for they will climb the societal ladder. Blessed are those who have power, for they will overcome. Blessed are the beautiful, for they will have many views and likes on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Right, that's a personal one that I thought of for myself right? Blessed are the popular, for they will get the better spouse. Amen? Blessed are those with children, for they will have a filled life. Blessed are the winners, for they will get the trophy. Blessed are those who eat kale, for you will live a long life, right? Let me give you a pro tip. Here's how you make kale. This is the best way to do it. Mix a little coconut oil. It's the last time I want to tell this joke, I promise. You mix a little coconut oil in it, and it just scrapes right off your plate into the garbage. It's perfect, right? But blessed are the healthy, for they will, again, they're going to live a long life. Happy and blessed are the millennial, for they will always have the latest iPhone and that steaming latte. Right? When you think about all the things that I just mentioned in my, my personal list of beatitudes, okay, you'll notice that the person receiving or the person who is happy is me. This is what the American beatitudes look like. Blessed is the man who has the beautiful wife. Blessed is the person who has the successful career, for they will inherit the home. Blessed is the person who creates a family structure that is stable and healthy, for they will have someone to change their diapers when they're old, right? Like, blessed are those people. Those are what the American Beatitudes look like, and that's what I want in my life. That's the thing that I'm chasing, I think, the most. And if you were being honest with yourself, you would say, yeah, you know what, I'd love to have good health. Yeah, you know what? I would love to have those kids. I would love to have that spouse. I would love to have those homes. Those are the things that would make me happy. That's how I achieve the good life. All those beatitudes that I made are about myself. But here's the reality about the beatitudes that Jesus gives when he says this is what the good life looks like. This is how you live it. What does he say? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
And as Pastor Rodney talked about last week, it's the person who has nothing spiritually to offer. They're spiritually impoverished. Blessed are those who mourn. This probably means something happened in your life that's not good. This isn't say blessed are the ones who cry because they've stubbed their, their toe. Right, this is someone who's had something serious happen in their life. Blessed are the meek. These are people who don't and can't speak up for themselves. They're timid and shy. They are humble and downtrodden. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. When you hunger and thirst for something, it means that you don't have it. When you're hungry, one pastor says it like this, when you're hungry and you need food right now, what you don't do is you don't go plant a garden. You don't wait for things to grow. You need an intervention right now. You need justice right now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because it means that they don't have it. Blessed are the merciful. These are people who have to show mercy because they've had someone wrong them or something unjust has happened to them and so they have to show mercy to someone else. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. These are people who are caught in the war zone of life and they see two sides or maybe they're on one side or the other and they're fighting with each other and Jesus is saying, happy are you when you're in the war zone of life and you have to go make peace. Blessed are the persecuted. The person who is treated poorly because they're following after Jesus. Blessed are you when everyone trashes you for Christ's sake. That's the list Jesus gives. That's not my list. And I would venture to guess if you were being honest with yourself, that's not your list either. You don't think to yourself, these are the things that will make me happy. These are the attitudes that I need to have. Happy are the ones who's poor in spirit. Happy is the one who mourns. I tend to start thinking back to those students who said these were extreme, almost unhuman commands or attitudes that Jesus is asking us to have. See, here's the reality of what it means to live in the kingdom of God, what it means to have the kingdom of God come here, to be a kingdom citizen. What it means to follow Jesus is you're not chasing after the things that make you happy. You're not chasing after the things that make you think that if I just get that, then I'll have the good life. If I just do these things, then I'll be a good person. The Jesus follower has stopped chasing after those things. And what they've realized is that what Jesus is doing here is he's taking my standards and he's completely crumpling them up and he's throwing them into a fire where they're going to be burned, never to be seen again. And he's giving me a new attitude. He's giving me a new adjustment. He's saying, this is what a kingdom citizen looks like. See, the kingdom of God is built upside down. Everything we've talked about so far, the American Beatitudes, we think that's the right side, that's the right way to build an empire, that's the right way to build a family, that's the right way to build this or that, that's the right way to achieve success in this life. But what Jesus comes and does is he flips those expectations on their heads. He flips the attitude on itself and he says it's an upside down kingdom. This isn't a conventional kingdom that's built on power and strength that's built on the backs of those who have realized that they don't have any strength inside themselves, but they're weak. They realize they need something beyond themselves. They've realized that God isn't looking for what society says is normal. God is looking for those that are broken. 
The kingdom of God is built upon the backs of men and women who have recognized their need for God and recognized the reality that they can never achieve the life God wants them to lead on their own. God doesn't look for the normal. He looks for the broken. This is something that was infused in the heart of Paul, the first century missionary that went out with the good news of Jesus, the gospel that he had died for our sins and he rose again, giving us new life. And he would go to these different churches and at one church he left them a letter uh, called Corinthians and in it he says this, chapter one, verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Wives, elbow your husband and say, he's talking to you, right? Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Of God. Here's the good news of the kingdom of God is he's not looking for qualified people. Oftentimes it says God isn't looking for qualified people. God calls those and qualifies those who are called. I don't know about you, but that's good news for my ears. That's good news for a guy. I don't think I, I, I think I had like a 3.0 in high school and I went to college. I think I got like a 2.7, Right? If you look at my, my, my resume on paper, I wasn't the best of students. That's good news for me to hear that God isn't looking for the people that gets all the answers right. God isn't looking for the people who have all the success. Rather, what God is looking for people, what God is looking for are those people whose hearts are broken and rent before him. Hopefully you're in the same spot as me where you're like, oh, thank God. Think of it like this. If God were creating a team for himself, you guys all remember, this is an illustration that gets used all the time. You guys remember being in high school and in dodgeballs, the game that you're going to play, and so everyone picks their teams. What do they do? They usually take the two best athletes, and then the next two, get, the next two best athletes get chosen, right? And so you, you want to stack your team with the best of athletes because you want to win the game. And, and usually the people who get picked last are like, like the insecure girl who, who doesn't want to get hit. You know what I mean? Right? Uh, or, or it's the kid who's like picking his nose in the corner or the guy who's, who's trying to win the heart of the insecure girl because by, by, by trying to, you know, make his armpit fart, like he's trying to, you know, woo her with that, like his talents and skills, like that's his, that's his chief goal in life is to, to master that. Like those are the kids that you don't want. And if Jesus, if Jesus were picking a team, the reality is he would pick a team that would look a lot more like the Bad News Bears, He'd pick a team where it's like, that's the girl that's going to be on my team. We're going we're gonna to bring these athletes who think they're something, they think they're the real deal, and we're going to bring them to nothing because their kingdom is built on what they perceive is the thing that will bring them the victory. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to come on the scene and I'm going to take the nobodies and I'm going to turn them into somebodies. I'm going to take the people who have nothing and I'm going to give them something and something's going to happen at the very core of their being and they're not going to act like everybody else. And when I get a hold of those people, I'm going to take the kingdom of God and I'm going to put it inside of them and they're going to go out and that's how things will move forward in the kingdom of God. If we have a church that's full of a bunch of successful people here on earth, that means we're doing something wrong. To be successful is a good thing when it's submitted to the kingdom and the call of God, but a church is a, is a true church when it has all people from all different walks of life coming together, what we perceive as successful and unsuccessful, meeting in the same place, because the kingdom of God isn't meant for those who make a lot of money. 
It's not meant for those who have everything right and they can figure out and control everything in such a way to where their life is perfect. The kingdom of God is for those who are broken and hurting, those that fall on their knees and say, I am poor in spirit. Jesus says, those are the ones who are blessed. The ones who need mercy. The ones who show mercy. The peacemakers, the pure in heart. Those are the ones who will be happy. The Beatitudes ask us the question, are you pursuing happiness his way or your way? The second point I want to give you as we begin to look at these more in depth, Jesus works from the inside out. Jesus works from the inside out. He builds upside down, but he works from the inside out. Pastor Rodney shared the first four of these Beatitudes. I'd encourage you, if you missed it, go back and check them out. Last week, I'm not going to be delving too much into those. But the ones that that I want to start with today is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We're only going to cover two. I tried covering all of them in first service, but it felt kind of weird. So I'm only going to cover two of these beatitudes. Uh, You'll see why at the end. But blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Mercy is defined by one scholar, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, as this. It's a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. Have you guys heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? The Jewish man goes and gets beat up along the side of the road to Jericho and then this Gentile, the person who the Jews consider dirty and unclean, this Gentile comes and he sees this Jewish man who's been bullied and beaten and bruised and left for dead and he has pity on the man. Mercy means you have pity on somebody and so this Samaritan stops, he gets off his horse, he picks the man up, he takes him and puts him on his horse and brings him to an inn where he pays for his care. The man had pity but that pity moved him to do something about the situation that he encountered. Jesus says blessed are the merciful, blessed are you when you have pity on others because they've been blinded by their sin. Blessed are you when you see someone who's in need and you stop to help them. When you show mercy, God, because of your heart, it shows that God has shown you mercy already. Blessed are the merciful. There's a story in the book of Acts of a man named Stephen. When the gospel goes out for the first time, people are getting saved left and right. The church is growing. But as the church grows, how many of you know the work of the enemy tends to grow with it and fight against the kingdom of God? And in Stephen's day, the the gospel's going out. Christians begin to get persecuted. In fact, Paul, who before was Saul, this man who wrote the letter to the Corinthians, who talked about how God is going to take the foolish and make them wise, Paul was on a killing spree at that time, and he was actually at the death of this man, Stephen. I wonder where Paul got those verses. Paul, the mighty scholar. Saul, the mighty man who thought he was following the things of God. He sees Stephen preaching the gospel and he's holding the coats of men as they pick up stones to kill this man who's talking about Jesus. And Stephen is standing there proclaiming Christ as the rocks are hitting him and you know what he says to them. As he's dying, as he's getting hit by rocks, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. If anybody had a right for justice. If anybody, when we look at their story and say, man, I wish they wouldn't have died, it's Stephen. There was injustice given against them. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness and justice, yet it was withheld from them. And even at the moment of his death, he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. You know what he was doing? He was showing mercy to his murderers. 
He was showing mercy and extending grace to the ones who were throwing the rocks to take his life, to shut his mouth. He used his mouth to give mercy. He had pity on them, and that pity drove him to something. He knew they were blinded by their sin. He was willing to show mercy because he was given mercy. Mercy is oftentimes coupled with grace. I like to say it like this. Grace is a gift that is given to you that you don't deserve. It's a gift you could never earn. This is what Jesus on the cross is. When he comes and dies on the cross and he gives you salvation, it's a gift you cannot earn. But coupled with that gift is the reality of mercy and that God did not give us the thing that we did deserve. Stephen was stoned for, for preaching a message. These men should have been killed for unjustly murdering Stephen. These men were given grace, and that grace, Paul, who was standing at the circle while, stone, while Stephen was being stoned to death, Paul was given grace. You know what that grace was? It was Stephen. Stephen was the grace of God given to Saul so that one day he would realize that God takes the foolish things of this world God takes those who are not qualified and he qualifies them and then he uses them for his purpose and his kingdom. And he realized in that he realized later on I was the foolish one. I was the one who thought he was wise, but God used Stephen. That was my moment of grace and in Stephen I saw mercy. Stephen wasn't calling for my extermination. Stephen was calling for my heart. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive Mercy, we see that in the life of Stephen. Mercy happens when you forfeit justice to God and show love and affection towards those who have wronged you or another. The last one I want to do, we could go through the blessed are the peacemakers, they should be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Um, if you want to know a little bit more about those, come find me after the service. But the one I want to really hone in on is blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want you to underline that in your Bible. I want you to make a mental note of that here. Because when I, in reading about these passages, what I realized is that many of the scholars that talked about them said this is sort of like the crown jewel of the Beatitudes. When we want to talk about what it means to live the Christian life, when we want to know what it looks like to have the rewards and the benefits of the kingdom of God, this is the text that all of Scripture points us to. It's, it's seen scattered throughout in different ways, all of the Scriptures. And it's this the idea that, that when, when God does something at the core of our being, one day he's going to purify our hearts. And, and this, this organ that pumps blood to everything else metaphorically this thing that's inside of us, it's going to spread to our entire being and it's going to create a new person inside of us. We are not going to be the same that we once were. And when that happens, we're going to see God. We're going to see him for who he really is. This has been the desire of the human heart for ages. When we talk about the good life, what we're really saying is, God, what is it that's going to make me happy? What is it that's going to fulfill me? What's it, what is that thing? Who is that person that I'm going to get that's going to complete me? And the reality of sin is this. It blinds us into thinking we have to have more when the reality is we were made for something greater. We were made for someone 
who can actually complete us. We were made for someone who designed us, created us for himself, and that's God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the verse of verses. This is the verse of verses. See, when you have affection for someone, you long for them when they're away from you. Amen? How many of you long to see Jesus? How many, how many of you long for that day when you get to see him face to face again? Here's, here's what I think the reality is. I can say all day long that that's true of me. I want to see Jesus. But there's so many times in my life where I live as though I don't. There's so many times in my life I live as though Jesus was the furthest thing from my mind. He's the furthest thing from my heart. See, I, I had a moment where, uh, back in college, where I was, uh, I was working here in Aberdeen. I went to school out in Portland, Oregon, and so I drive back and forth. And uh, It's a long drive, people, I'm telling you. Uh, if you ever want to have a good trip, <laughs> drive out to Oregon, okay? And so I drove back for the summer, and my, wa- my wife-to-be, she was my girlfriend at the time, um, hey yo, got married, yes, um, but she was working on a farm, she was driving a tractor, cutting some grass seed, you know, to, to help us South Dakotans with our terrible lawns, um, and, and so she was working really hard, and, and I was here working at Subway and Walmart, and, and I knew that during the summer that she was going to come. Right, she was gonna come be with me here in Aberdeen and we were gonna be together again. I was gonna be with the woman that I, I love. She's my person, right? Like she's, she, that, that's my girl right there. And so, so uh, you could probably guess that those in-between weeks and months, right, uh, were, were difficult, right? I wanted to be with her, but I couldn't. And so I had to patiently wait in anticipation for her to get here, right? And, and I knew she was coming, so I knew that that moment would come where I would see her face to face again. Uh, but, but in the meantime, it was really difficult. In the meantime, the longer that she was gone, the, the more that I longed for her. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? If you have someone that you care about and they're gone for a day, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to see them this afternoon, but they're going to be back tomorrow. You know, when my, when my girls are away, I'm like, oh, you know, they're spending the weekend with grandma. They're going to be gone for a whole day. They're actually going to spend the night. I'm like, okay, well, I'll get them back tomorrow. And my wife, sit around, my wife and I sit around like, what am I supposed to do now, right? We don't know what we're supposed to do. If I'm away from my wife for a few days, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be tough, but, but soon I'm gonna be with her. But the longer I'm away from her, the more I desire her. The longer I'm separated from her, the longer you're separated from the one that you truly love, the more your heart desires them. When your kids go off to college, the longer they're away, the more you're gonna desire them. And then when they come back, you're gonna be like, well, praise God, my kids have returned to me, right? If you've ever lost a loved one, you know what it's like to have part of your heart ripped out and never come back because that's the one that you love. And you know you're not gonna see them again until Jesus returns or until it's your time to go. The longer we're away from the ones that we love, the more that anticipation builds, the more we desire them, the more that we long for them, the more that we want to see them face to face. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we view things. We do things in light of the day when they return. You can bet you when, 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 when I knew the day my girl was coming back, you can bet I was doing them push-ups. You can bet I was doing the curls for my girl. You can bet I was doing all the things that I needed to do to make sure I was in the pristine shape that I needed to be in so that when she saw me for the first time and I picked her up for the first time, she knew that I was ready for her. In fact, I remember when she was, sorry, I was, I was telling you a story and I got totally distracted, okay? 
So she flies back from, from Oregon to come see me, right? And so she comes to Minneapolis. Boy, that was like a great pastor moment there, huh? <laughs> she flies into Min to Minneapolis, and I'm there to pick her up, and I picked up a bouquet of flowers, and, and I had a 32-ounce Powerade because I'm like, I'm like a super romantic guy like that. You know, and I didn't even have money to take her out to dinner. I just had money to get enough gas to, to get there, right, and back. And so I, I'm waiting in the, the I'm waiting at the, the airport, and, and I'm kind of antsy, you know. After you see that, you know, you're dating and you see this girl again, you're, you're just like nervous, right? And and I, I'm seeing all these people around, but she's not one of them. I'm waiting for my person, and all of a sudden, from the crowd, I see her emerge, and she's pulling her little bag, and she's got them 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 Oregonian blue jeans with a little tear in the knee, and she's got that black t-shirt on, right? And she's got the short red curly hair that kind of bounces when she walks, and she's kind of got that dorky cute smile. She's not here, so don't tell her I said that, okay? But she's got that cute smile when she sees me, and she kind of cracks. I can tell she feels awkward. I feel awkward, and I'm, we're both just kind of like, what are we supposed to do? But none of that mattered. I put my flowers down. I set the power down. I ran, and I jumped into her arms. No, I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> I ran, and I picked her up, and I didn't care what anybody else thought because I got to see the one that I love face to face. She changed my heart. She purified my heart in a sense to where I became a better man because I was in a relationship with her and finally I was reunited with her and it didn't matter what Joe Schmo sitting on the bench waiting for his plane thought, I was gonna spin my girl around, right? When you're away from the one that you love, the longer you're away, the more you long for them. We live in a kingdom where our king is away. Let me give you another example of this. I watched some videos of a, a military dad coming home to his daughters. Okay, if you have teenage daughters, you know what being around them is like. In fact, they don't want you around, like at all, right? In fact, I've heard a couple stories, even about like church league softball, how, how parents are not allowed to go to the game because their daughter doesn't want to be embarrassed. They don't want mom and dad around, right? Like my Elsie right now, she's six years old, she actually wants to be around me, and I love it, but I know the day's coming where she's gonna say, Dad, you're embarrassing me, go away. Right, Dad, get out of here. I know it's coming, but here's the reality. When you love someone, even, even in the most extreme case of a teenage girl, when they love somebody, it doesn't matter who's around. This military dad comes back to surprise his first teenage daughter, and she's with her class, and, and it was probably a few classes because there was a lot of kids at this little like school assembly, and, and she's sitting there in a chair uh, in this yellow sweater, and, and she just looks awkward and uncomfortable. I'm sure the boy that she was crushing on was probably there, right? She had done her hair up a certain way to maybe get his attention, or maybe there was that group of people that didn't like her so much that made her feel a little insecure, right? And she's sitting in this chair, and she looks incredibly uncomfortable uh, because she doesn't know why she's there. They're just there to see the special guest. But as soon as her dad walks in, as soon as the one that she loved enters the room, none of that matters. She gets up out of her chair. She covers her face. She's weeping. She goes and she jumps into the arm of her dad. She jumps into the arm of the one that she loves. The other daughter does the same thing. And my, the last daughter, he, she's working at Walmart of all places. He goes to see her at Walmart. And as soon as she sees him from across the aisle, all you hear in the camera is dun, 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 dun. This girl, this grown woman, right? She doesn't care who's checking out. She doesn't care what you're buying for groceries, right? She doesn't care what the latest sale is. She's running into the arms of her dad, the one that she loves. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Those girls understood 
very basic and primal need that every single human being has, they realized in that moment, this man, this person who created me, who gave me life, who gave me my name, who infused me with purpose, who believed in me, who loved me, who cared about me, who put up with me, who gave me grace and showed me mercy during those teenage years when I didn't want him around and where I sent him through literally H-E double hockey sticks. That man, that man has returned to me. He is mine and I am his. It didn't matter who was around. They didn't care. What they wanted was that man right there. They were happy in that moment. They were blessed in that moment because the one who had given them everything had returned to them. See, here's the reality, and this is the last point I want to give you. Here's the reality of the gospel. We are blessed because he was cursed. Write that down. We are blessed because he was cursed. See, here's the reality of the Beatitudes. This is what the Beatitudes are meant to point us to. You ready for this? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus died on a cross, the death of a thief. This is the death where the poor man went. This is where the worthless of society would go. And what Jesus inherited wasn't the kingdom, he inherited death. Jesus mourned in the garden, except for when Jesus mourned, there was nobody there to comfort him. Jesus was humbled. He was meek as he was hung on a tree naked. And the only thing he inherited again was death. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness and justice, but that in, at the cross, that was never satisfied. He showed mercy to us on the cross by crying out, Father, forgive them, yet he himself received no mercy. Jesus was pure in heart, yet when my sin and shame was taken by him, he was crushed and the Father turned his back on him. Jesus came to bring peace between us and God, yet the cross ends in chaos and death. Jesus was persecuted, reviled, and lied about by me, by you, by the people who surrounded him on the cross and they sent him to his death. But here's the reason why he went, because he knew one day his reward would be great in heaven. This is the reality of the Beatitudes. Everything that I'm not, Jesus was. Everything that I deserve, Jesus took. I deserve to be rejected by God. I deserve to be forsaken because of my sin, because I chase after what I think are the things that fulfill me, and I work hard to get them, not realizing that I'm working against the kingdom of God. I was forsaken, yet he came and took my place. He came and he gave me grace. He showed me mercy. He had pity on my soul. And when I realized that, when you realize that, you realize blessed are those who are poor, who are poor in spirit. You realize it's me who's been called to show mercy because Christ showed me mercy on the cross. We realize that one day when we see Jesus face to face, it's not gonna matter who, who's around. It's not gonna matter the weight of your sin and baggage that you carry. When you see that man, what you're gonna realize is this is the man who created me. This is the man who gave me life. This is the one who's called me by name, who has given me a purpose. He has given me meaning. He has given me definition. And when I was lost in my trespasses and sin, he gave me grace and he showed me mercy even though I put him through hell. This is the man that comes 
to us. This is the man who promises to return. This is what I love about our Bible. This is what I love about our God. That ESV that you hold, there's 750,000 words in that book. Do you know how it ends? Do you know what Jesus' last words are to you and me? The last read words of Jesus before the Bible stops being written. You know what they are? Jesus looks at us and he says, surely I will come again. All of scripture points us to the day when we will see him face to face. And when we let the gospel prick our heart, when we let the gospel into those deep places and let that be the thing that completes us, and when we let Jesus be the one who's our better half, who's the one that completes us, when he is that person, what we begin to realize is that all those other things, they can be good and they can be beneficial and they can be used in the kingdom of God, but they in and of themselves are not the thing that's meant to fulfill me. You realize that you're poor in spirit. You realize that there's gonna be moments where you mourn over the sins that you've committed, the mistakes that you've made, but you have a loving father and a loving brother who's going to lift up your head and say, you are mine. Do you long for the day when Jesus will return? Or is that just an idea that's nice? Every day that you live, knowing that one day I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go be with Jesus in heaven. So either until I die or until he returns, I'm gonna live as though it matters to me. I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live as though that life can transform mine. I'm gonna do the push-ups. I'm gonna do the curls. I'm gonna change my behavior. I'm gonna walk in a way that's not like everybody else. When Jesus tells me to do things that, that everybody else is doing, I'm gonna say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you because you are the way, you're the truth, you're the life, and I want you more than anything else. If you don't want Jesus more than anything else, then all you're trying to do is work to fulfill that void in your heart that you were never meant to fulfill yourself. That's all you're gonna do. Jesus' last words for you are, surely I am coming again. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for the moment where you will see Jesus face to face? Will you run to his arms or will you run from him? What is it that you're waiting for? Who is it that you're waiting for? What does it look like for you to live the life that God has called you to live here and now, in this moment, in the moment to come? Jesus is calling his people to be kingdom citizens in a way that lives totally contrary to culture. It's not about being normal. It's about being his. It's living by a different set of rules. It's living by a different mentality. It's living in a kingdom that's upside down where Jesus comes and he builds in ways we could never think. He takes the foolish to confound the wise. He takes a Saul who was a murderer and turns him into a Paul who then takes the gospel and goes out to the entire world. This is the God we serve. He works from the inside out. What's he doing in your heart today? What parts of you need to be transformed? What parts of your mind needs to be awakened so that you long for this man more? where he's the lover of your soul. He's the one that you can't live without. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, you say, blessed are the meek. Um, and we just come to you humbled. Humbled by what you did on the cross. Humbled by what you did for us. Lord, that you, you were cursed so that I could be blessed. 
Lord, you were cursed so that I could be fulfilled and happy and content in you. Jesus, would you teach us what it means to be blessed? Would you give us the heart that says I am poor in spirit? Would you give us the heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness? Would you give us the heart that is pure so that one day we might see you? Jesus, you are our goal. You are our affection. Lord, let us find our fulfillment and our joy in you. This is our prayer this morning. Humble us, Father. Remove our pride so that we might see you for who you really are. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And all God's people said,